tonight. The World Wrestling Federation has laid out the welcome mats for the first ever In Your House Spectacular. Tonight, two of the biggest men in Federation history will raise the roof in your house. World Wrestling Federation champion, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, defends the title against the number one contender, Psycho Sid. In your house, Big Daddy Cool is in your face. Tonight, there will be no mystery guests crashing the party for the smoking guns. Billy and Bart plan to remove the mat from under the feet of the WWF Tag Team Champions, Yokozuna and Owen Hart. Smoking guns are ready. Tonight, Razor Ramon has left a special wake-up call for Double J, Jeff Jarrett, and the roadie. In a special handicap match, the bad guy will take on both. Say hello to your worst nightmare. We are great. <laughs> Tonight, in an encounter that will rock the house, the creation of devastation, Adam Bomb battles the mammoth Mabel in a King of the Ring qualifying match. Deal with the Bomb Squad. And finally, tonight, the hitman Bret Hart has sent eviction notices to two unwelcome guests. The hitman will battle not only the modern-day kamikaze Hakushi, but tonight, in a separate match, he plans to slam the door shut on Jerry the King Lawler as well. Jerry Lawler, you will be going straight to the outhouse. Also tonight, one lucky winner will become the proud homeowner of this luxurious country club dwelling in Orlando, Florida. Maybe that lucky someone is you. So sit back and enjoy the family hospitality the World Wrestling Federation delivers in your house. Next up, that horrendous Bret Hart t-shirt rears its face because a man who I only heard called Barry Dedinsky, I believe, is in the crowd and he introduces this rare Bret Hart t-shirt. Uh, Vince Man says it's one size fits all somewhere around extra large. That's not yeah. one size fits all then, is it? It's fucking one <laughs> size fits people who are extra large. Um, and apparently it's only available in the US, according to Vince. And to that, I say, well, thank fuck for that, because I don't want to buy that shit. It's horrendous. It's really horrible. Like, for a start, it's a Bret Hart t-shirt that's not got any pink on it. I mean, fucking pull your finger out your ass, lads. Like, really not a pleasant thing. People are wearing it in the crowd, and it looks ghastly. Oh, I had to, um, to apologise. There is some pink on it, because I've just found a picture of it. And, uh, yeah, it's horrible. I mean, they're going for the sharpshooter gimmick. They're pushing that because there's, like, the... um. Uh, the like sight thing. Oh, fuck me. What are they called? The, fuck me. This has gone well, isn't it? Uh, they're like the sight. No. What are no, you fucking talking about? <laughs> what, what sight? <laughs> so you know, on a sniper, you have the sight where you target, and it's got the grid lines. Grid lines. That's what I'm looking for. Grid lines. Yeah, it's got that like dotted around the t-shirt. Fucking hell, lads. <laughs> sight for ages like what the freaking hell are you on about <laughs> I think I had an aneurysm
Hello and welcome. Welcome in. Bienvenue. Croiso. Bienvenidos. This is the Random Wrestling Review and whatever language you speak, what follows is likely to be a heady mix of in-depth pro wrestling analysis and honest-to-goodness sports entertainment irrelevancy. Joining me today is the one and only old man Sam Kerry. Guten Morgen. Guten Nachmittag. Guten Abend. Oh, that was all German. That was all. It German. was. It was good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Oh, lovely, lovely stuff. Yeah. And also, we have Matt Roberts here today. Any Welsh for us, Matt? Prinhoundar. How's that? I thought you were saying hound dog. <laughs> <laughs> Prinhoundar. Good afternoon. Ah, oh, lovely. You'll notice I did put some Welsh in my little intro there. So let's start with the important stuff today. Let's get straight down to business. We are covering today WWF In Your House, the very first one from May of 1995. Matt, have you watched that show in anticipation of this episode today? Yes, I have. I watched the right show. Yes, yes. That is some top-notch watching. <laughs> We've got over the first hurdle this week. That is wonderful stuff. So Absolutely happy. wonderful. We also have a hurdle to get over from last week because I've got a correction from last week's show, which was I wasn't on. It was uh, Tom, oh, Old Man, and Stephen. Hang on a minute. Right. You take a fucking week off to look after your beautiful little baby, but instead of spending time with him, you're just nitpicking, nitpicking, nitpicking <laughs> on the edit. Nitpicking. Yeah, yeah. So to, be honest, to be honest, old man, it's, it's, you're not who I'm correcting. Oh, and it's nor, fine. That's absolutely fine then. Nor is Tom. He's actually our guest, <gasps> Stephen, that I'm correcting. So Ooh, What a prick. So during the game last week that you played at the beginning of the episode, you mentioned Waldo Von Erich, who Stephen erroneously suggested was the fake brother of Kerry, Kevin and David Von Erich. That's not who he was, though. Waldo Von Erich was actually a wrestler long before Kerry, Kevin and David were wrestlers. And he and Fritz were both not really Von Erichs because Fritz Von Erich's name's not Fritz Von Erich. It's Fritz Adkinson. And Fritz and Waldo were a pair of heel Germans, basically, in the wake of the Second World War, who went around America and did lots of heel stuff. Now, Fritz's career was actually, in the end, stronger in the South, and Waldo's career was stronger in the North. In fact, he headlined a lot of WWF shows in the 60s and 70s against the likes of Bruno Sammartino and other top baby faces within the company. So Waldo von Erich was not that one. Waldo von Erich was actually a headliner in uh, the, during the territories days of the 60s and 70s. There was a fake von Erich brother, and he was brought in after David von Erich had died as well. So it made it, it was just very, very poor taste, really, really strange. And mm. obviously Fritz himself was the booker for world class. So that was what Stephen confused it with. What about uh, Lance von Erich? Was he one of the von Erichs? Oh, that might have been him. That might actually have been the one who was the fake one. I couldn't yeah. remember the name of the, the fake one. There, there were four or five, and I can't remember them all. Not all of them were great wrestlers. But certainly David, who died in, I think, 1983 or four, was lined up to be, apparently, NWA world champion at one point. Mm. Kerry Von Erich did win the NWA world title very briefly in the 80s. And Kevin, I think, was the best wrestler of the lot. So um, very talented, all three. So that's our correction from last week. Look, I'm, I'm taking care of business. We've got our first hurdle for this week. I've corrected stuff from last week. All in a day's work. I mean, you can say that, Tinky. <laughs> but who who got, and let's just lay it out like he is, he's a fucking liar. Who got Stephen in? Oh, uh, well, yeah, true. Yeah. Precisely. And he's the one. I mean, is it libel? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I think it probably is, actually. Should we sue him? Well, it's libel or what's the other one? Slander, no? <laughs> I can't remember. One of them's writing, one of them's uh, spoken. 
and I can't remember mm. which one's which. Anyway, doesn't matter. Well, let's be honest. He's just been a nutter cunt, hasn't he? He's embarrassed us, Stephen. <laughs> well, <laughs> more importantly, he's embarrassed himself, though, hasn't he? Because mm. he does a podcast, which is all about Mid-South in the 1980s, oh. and that's very, very close to world-class championship wrestling back in the 80s. So he should be the expert on this stuff. Basically, Stephen, if you're listening, you fucked right up. What are you doing, mate? <laughs> <laughs> So moving on to this week and a topic and to be honest, this is where I fell down a little bit because I was like, what what can we what can we do for a topic this week? And I did, did consider something earlier on, then I wrote it off and I thought well, I'll come back to it. Forgot to come back to it, didn't I? So I've gone back to the one I already wrote off, and so it's not a particularly strong topic of conversation this week. Favorite tag team of all time is what we're going to talk about oh, yeah, today. Yeah. You're gonna have to think very quickly on your feet. Now, what I would say, I don't really need to. You could say if you want to the best, what you think the best tag team of all time is and your favorite of all time. But I like to make that distinction. So this is really about who your favorites were, if there were ever a tag team that you really got into. And I'm going to say that my favorite tag team of all time is strangely the Quebecers. (laughs) Because put it into context, the Quebecers were tag team champions when I first got into wrestling. I thought they were significant. They weren't really when you look back on it in history. But at the time, it felt significant to me. And that will be the same, I'm sure, for everybody. When you got into wrestling, there are probably people that actually in the end weren't very significant at all but felt like they were at the time but not only that but looking back now on their body of work the tag team matches they had in the first half of 94 and the second half of 93 against the Steiner brothers against the head shrinkers against the hearts against one two three kid and Marty Janae they had some absolute belters over that time at a period of time when as you've seen Matt there wasn't a huge amount of great wrestlers in the WWF. And so they were, without a doubt, amongst the best in the Federation at that time. The only other team that even came close to, to them for me, I don't think of tag teams as being something I've ever personally invested in massively, like emotionally anyway. The, the closest to them, I think, would have to be the Hardy Boys, just simply because I know people put them alongside Edge and Christian and the Dudley Boys, and, and obviously their series of matches together were massively important. But the Hardy Boys came along and sort of were the were the catalyst for the change to tag team wrestling in my view they were the ones who really made that change um and and really made tag team wrestling exciting for a few years after what had been a pretty barren spell really since the quebecers had been in the company and had and the tag team division hadn't really meant much for quite some time so that's my take on it i've I've bought you some time by giving you my my thoughts first of all matt why don't you uh why don't you go i'm glad you mentioned um the hardies there then because for me it's a team who are synonymous with the, some of the matches that they had i'm probably gonna go with the dudley boys my personal favorite tag team and it's funny because save the save for like the tlc matches triangle ladder matches that type of thing it's one of those where I, I can't honestly pick like a specific tag team match, which I think, wow, that's one of the best, you know, that the Dudleys have ever had. Just as a team, I just thought that, you know, they looked like a team, they dressed like a team. They had loads of like, you know, proper tag team moves. To this day, I still think they had the best tag team finisher that there's ever been in terms of the 3D. And it's probably one of the reasons I particularly like them is that, you know, they tried very briefly to to make them go their separate ways and, and, you know, try and make singles guys out of them. But it just didn't work because they are at their core a team. The pair of them are just ever since they seem to have been put together. That's how it should have been. That's how it always should have been. And I just think that they just wanted the best teams there's ever been 
it's funny, you know, because one of the most heated conversations I ever had at WrestleTalk was about the Dudley Boys. And me, I was arguing against the Dudley Boys, by the way. So I was saying that, like, I just didn't think they were, I thought they were massively overrated in terms of, A, their quality in terms of their in-ring quality, but mainly, actually, their fact that I don't think they were ever really a draw. I think that they existed in a time when tag team wrestling didn't really draw in general. And they certainly weren't, for example, the, the team that I was going to say are the best tag team of all time. They certainly weren't the Steiner brothers, let's be honest, who were genuine draws in America and in Japan. And they certainly weren't the Road Warriors, who were also massive draws everywhere they went. So that was my thing. But, you know, I I, I have to accept it. But I did also say a couple of weeks ago that, that Bubba is actually probably my least favorite person in wrestling <laughs> because I think he's a complete dickhead. But, you know. Apart from that, your choice is perfectly valid. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, he seems to have that, that effect on, on people. I mean, he, do, he does seem to have some opinions that, that are quite out there. But then sometimes I think he speaks sense, but it, it depends on what side of the bed he got up on. It's not just it's not his opinions that's the problem for me, though. It is the way he puts them across and the, and the, the, the reason he puts them across as well. Like, I feel like he's very much the Piers Morgan of the wrestling world. Like, he wants to be controversial, so he comes up with things to say that are controversial because he thinks it will generate clicks which undoubtedly it does but at the same time like i just don't think that's how you do business you know i, I we would we don't do that on this podcast we swear and we call people cunts because we think they're cunts there's a difference so this is actually really hard doing this because they've got like a little soft spot for the killer bees obviously the hard foundation you've got the hardies you've got your urging christians wasn't a big Dudley Boys guy, unfortunately, Matt. I'm kind of in the uh, in the in the old tinky tank with those. And then also you got like the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express, who are new on the scene, well for me anyway. But it's got to be the Hard Foundation, I think, because like to your point about the uh, the Quebecers, Tinky, like they were there. I think they were one in one of the first matches I ever watched, like properly. So it's got to be those lads. Brian Anvil, come on. The difference is, oh man, that they were important. <laughs> they were actually mm-hmm. significant as a tag team, whereas the Quebecers weren't really in the long run. But I think that's a fair shout. Actually, going back to what you said, Matt, the Dudley Boys, I can pick out a match that is the Dudley Boys' best, in my view. Shoot, go for it. Well, I'm going to remove all the TLC matches because that's a bit that's a bit that's of a specialist right. thing. Edge and Christian versus Adulty Boys, Royal Rumble 2001 is an absolute masterclass in tag team wrestling. It's magnificent. And for that is the only reason I'm allowing you to say the Dudley Boys is <laughs> your favourite tag team. <laughs> they were baby faces for that as well, weren't they, if I remember? Yeah, they were. Yeah, that's that, that, that was a really good one, actually. Yeah, it's a good shout. Yes, it is a really great, great tag team match, that. Really good. Well, that was 100% successful, wasn't it? That conversation about tag <laughs> yeah. team wrestling. For the listener, we've had a few technical issues while that was going on. So goodness knows what that's going to sound like in the edit. If I even leave it in, quite frankly, we will uh, we'll have to see later on. Before we get into everything today, uh, of course, if you are new to the podcast and would like to get in touch with us, the best way to do it is by hitting us up on Twitter at RWRPodUK. But you can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram. I almost said Facegram then. <laughs> Also, if you want to follow me, I can be found at Tink Holloway and Matt is Matt at MattRob90. Old man can be followed, but only if you are willing to stalk him as he cannot be found on social media. <laughs> in your house, in your face. The first in your house is here. Uh, I put that in your face bit in because that's pretty much a thing that someone did on every single in your house for the first five or six in your house pay-per-views. Someone cut a promo with those very words in them. That's what we're covering <laughs> today. Expectations for this show. Let's start with you, old man. I've watched this before. 
but it's been a while. It's been a good old while as well. So I remember it being pretty middling. To be honest, I don't remember it being anything special. I do remember an absolutely belting Adam Bond match. <laughs> so we'll get to that. But uh, yeah, I, I do remember that. But I was quite looking forward to this purely because it, I knew it was going to be short. But I'd be lying if I said my dick was doing a little switch. <laughs> Just uh, for our listeners, again, just a bit of advice. If you ever are expecting someone to say the words a belter involving Adam Bomb, don't have a mouth of tea at the same time because you be very <laughs> close to spin out when that happens. Uh, Matt, your expectations? My expectations for this one was, for the most part, I just wanted to know what the the in-your-house concept was all about because I've never really seen one before. Like, I've heard it and I was like, what the friggin' hell does in your house mean? Why Why is it called that? And I guess I found out. So, I mean, but my expectations were met. I learned. No, I mean, I'm quite interested now because I've never considered that there was a concept behind in your house. And there is a concept. I'm just not sure it's got anything to do with what you'll see on screen very much. What did you take away from the show that made you, that gave you the learning that you wanted, which was this is what in your house is about? It, it seems to be the whole sort of competition thing with winning a holiday home that that seems to be what what it was about for me that that's why it's called in your house it's, we're in your house you can win a house we're hey <laughs> so there's a there's a breakdown here in that there's the uh there's the cynical marketing side so what they've done so there's this there's a story of when hogan gets attacked by earthquake and i can't remember what year it is tinky will undoubtedly know but what they did is they encouraged viewers to send letters to hogan and what they did is through that they then send a self-addressed envelope with it so that they could get a reply but what they did was they were basically getting all of this data together so they could then send merchandise and booklets out and sell. And that is so clearly the case here as well, because there's a guy selling what I think is probably the worst T-shirt I've ever seen <laughs> later on in the show. And I can't remember the guy's name. It's horrendous. But that's effectively what it was, Matt, is it was just a way. It was a way to get people to watch and to pay for a pay-per-view because they've sent their address and their details to WWE in the hope of winning a house. Well, I think it's also worth saying that this wasn't the concept for In Your House. The, the other In Your House is no one got a house. There wasn't another house competition. I was about to say, did somebody ever win a house again? <laughs> What the no. hell? Nobody ever won a house again. No, it was just this is just uh this is our first in your house pay per view, so we're gonna give away a house. And we'll we'll talk about the competition when we get to it later in the show. But no, the concept for in your house, first of all, it's more I think just an idea of look, we're in your house for this pay per view. We are in your house, you know, because we're coming through the medium of television into your house. That's the idea, I believe. But also the concept was that these were and at least initially it stopped in late ninety seven, but these were two hour pay per views. So they were shorter pay per views, they were cheaper pay per views than the other five main pay per views of the year. And they were also the all, all gonna be the first time ever that WF did pay per views in the months that didn't include those five main shows i mean obviously they had one or two additional um shows in the past this tuesday in texas for example in 91 but but in the main they had the five pay-per-views and this was their way of filling the calendar up and so from this point onwards wwf would then go to monthly pay-per-views but they hadn't done this before this point so that's the other sort of major thing that happened here within your house my expectations similar to old man i've seen it before not loads of times once or twice knew exactly what was on the show though because it's very much in my main early period of watching 
Pro Wrestling. So I knew what was going to be on it. And my main concern was that after the opener, that would be the best thing on the show and there wouldn't be very much mm-hmm. else going. That was my main concern going into the show. And I wasn't expecting very much from the rest of it, but I was hoping that there were some hidden gems I'd missed or forgotten about that were going to come up as the show went on. Lovely. So time for talking points. So, oh man, why didn't you go first? You touched upon it in your expectations, Tinky, about the opener. And I was going to go with that, but it feels... I feel like that's going to be our main talking point through the whole show. So I'm going to go with Mabel defeating Adam Bomb. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> so it's one minute, 54 seconds. There is a little bit of a preamble. So you get a little bit extra for your money. But I mean, what a waste of Adam Bomb this is. That's all <laughs> I could think. And now all will aside. So we've got Adam Bomb gets some great pyro. Adam Pyro in inverted commas where he gets the little like bomb cloud Adam Bomb's a face which I love Adam Bomb but when he was walking down to the rain I'm like well Mabel walks down with Mo but they're not doing their men on a mission stuff because Mabel's a heel mm. so he comes down and I'm like of course he is because he wins King of the Rain and I'm like hang on so Adam Bomb is going to be the face like fair fucks to him he gets a decent old reaction of oh, the bombster I'd have been I tell you what if I'd have been there front row shirt off just like <laughs> 11, 12-year-old Sam, shirt off, waving it above me head. I love Adam Bomb, just writing on me chest. Lovely old job. But uh, yeah, and then something happens. But two things happen before the match. So some guy is holding a sign. It's a piece of A4 paper, and it just says, Adam Bomb, King of the Ring. <laughs> but it's just, it's like he's done it in a stencil thing. And I was like, oh, mate, you've like half-assed this. Why have you not committed to this? It's basically like, like he's gone He's gone onto Word, he's put it into Landscape, he's written the yeah. words, Adam Bomb, King of the Ring, made the yeah. font as big as he can to fit it on one page, yeah. and then pressed print. That's basically what he's done. Yeah, but it's, this is like, this is not like it's not as easy as it is now <laughs> to do these things and i was like how where have you printed it mate just do it. and i got danny davis refereeing mm-hmm. who looks an absolute stink he's wearing a long sleeve ref top that no one else wears he looks really weird and that kind of took me out of it and then vince says that adam bomb is ready to explode on Mabel. And I then couldn't get that thought out of my head. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is uh, this is uncomfortable stuff. Sexy, Adam Bond. <laughs> well, I was just jealous, really. But uh, Adam Bond gets a fair, like, no mind, it's a minute and 54 seconds. He gets a fair amount of stuff in this. And then he's cut off by, I mean, we've talked about the spinning ass kick before. <laughs> this is... This is the worst example of the spinning ass kick I think we've had so far. It is horrendous. It's a man tripping, effectively, <laughs> tripping over a, lo- a little like step or something. Just he- he's come home, he's had a couple of pints, and he's going, he's like, hello, darling, to his wife. And then he's tripped on a little step and he's gone, oh, bloody heck, I've fallen here. But he's just committed and gone, I need to roll forward for this. It's terrible. But you know what, right? They, we, we had this with a. Uh, viscera and mark henry this is as good as we could ever have expected these two to have and the fact that it was a minute and 54 seconds is such a blessing (laughs) because if they'd gone six minutes it would have been intolerable (laughs) i'm gonna be honest but as it was i bloody enjoyed this then i didn't enjoy the thought of mabel becoming king of the ring because it's terrible so a few things to sort out there first of all some context so this is a king of the ring qualifying match which is why the guy's got the sign adam bomb king of the Mm -hmm. ring 
Mabel wins the match, as you said, after just under two minutes. Uh, he does it with when he catches an Adam Bomb crossbody and hits him with a power slam for the pin. The other thing I wanted to say is we have now watched at WrestleMania 10, Adam Bomb versus Earthquake, a Survivor Series 1994. We've seen Adam Bomb in a Survivor Series match. I think he was also probably one in one at Survivor Series 93. And we've seen this. I think we've probably seen almost the entirety of Adam Bomb's pay-per-view career uh, in those <laughs> shows. I don't think there's hardly anything else. Matt's even seen two Adam Bomb <laughs> matches. And those two matches have lasted a grand total of about two and a half minutes. So we really are hitting the big heights with, with Adam Bomb. I'm pretty certain at the end of this match, there is a chant from the crowd, which is, you two suck. I'm, pr- I'm pretty certain there is. And this is from this is from pre kind of smart fan age, really. I mean, there was a couple of times when that when those sort of things happen, but not very often. And I'm, pr- I'm pretty certain there is. A, just as Mabel wins the match, there's a chant that goes up which says, you two suck. It was in New York, wasn't it, this show? So that, that, that kind of sounds about right, maybe. Yeah, I suppose so. It was in Syracuse, yeah. So yeah. a sort of a, a regular haunt of ECW, which would come back to haunt WWF at the King of the Ring 95 when Mabel did win the King of the Ring because they were in Philadelphia for that one. I wonder if it was actually more a you 2 suck to Mabel and Moe because they wouldn't have been saying that about Adam Bomb. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Why would, they, why would they ever say that about the infamous Brian Clark? No, no chance they'd be saying that. Mabel and Moe had just turned heel at this point. So they had been babyfaces through the previous year. And then they had, I believe, just after WrestleMania 11, attacked their manager, Oscar, and ditched him after losing a match to the Smoking Guns, I believe, on Raw, and then turned heel in the process. And now Mabel is getting the full force of the push that would see him headline SummerSlam later in the year. It wasn't the best idea, was it? I know someone put Kevin Nash to face at SummerSlam, but fucking hell. Adam Bomb's better off in that spot. Turn him heel. He's gold. <laughs> this is a man who was named as being part of the worst tag team by the Wrestling Observer Newsletter in 2000 and 2001 with Brian Adams. And in 2001, the worst worked match of the year with Brian Adams against Undertaker and Kane at Unforgiven. Oh, now, God, I remember that. The Wrestling Observer Newsletter, obviously, shit. Well, I just don't like Dave Mountsness. <laughs> Oh, that's that's controversial to me, but I'll stay quiet on that one. <laughs> why do you why do you oh, like Dave Meltzer? Yeah, I'm a big Dave Meltzer. Fa- I'm a big fan of Dave Meltzer, Brian Alvarez, and the Figure Four Empire. I'll just say it. Why? Because they're thoroughly entertaining and very good at what they do. Nah, you're wrong. Right, uh, moving on. Um, <laughs> You're as wrong about them as you are about the Dudley boys. Never mind. Dave Meltzer was at one point a very, very important part of the pro wrestling business. He was doing something that nobody else was doing. And Brian Alvarez is a very good podcaster. Dave, there's no place for Dave Meltzer anymore. He's not required anywhere near the business anymore. He's, he's past it. It's time for him to give it up. That's my hot take on Dave Meltzer. Um, oh, man, are you happy for me to move on from I know he's your boy and everything, but you're happy for me to move on mm-hmm. from Adam Bomb? Yeah, well, yeah, I just wanted to make a point about Dave Meltzer. So my interactions with Dave Meltzer's reporting are pretty much primarily through other wrestling sites. It's always, uh, yeah, so there's a plan that X is going to face Y, um, blah, blah, blah. Lots of, lots of, like, minor detail. And then, but as always, plans can change. It's like, <laughs> well, fuck off, mate. I mean, he's just covering his own back. It's like, I kind of respect him for covering his own back and for making probably a substantial amount of money off of it. So I can't really hate him for that, but he's the worst of the worst. He's the super mark, but like the super serious mark. And I'm just a semi-mark. Yeah, well, his name's Dave, not Mark. 
So how are you talking about? Is it, no, no, it's middle names, Mark. Oh, okay, Dave Mark Meltzer. Do, do, this is just going to have to be one of those times where I, I'm just going to have to say something new because because I can't not. I, I can't accept any of that. I just really can't. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, old man. I mean, the fact that you said the most of your interaction from his website has come from other websites. That's because that's what a lot of them do. They'll they'll say, well, Dave Meltzer said this and Dave Meltzer said that. As a subscriber of the Wrestling Observer website, and I have been for many, many years, a lot of stuff that these other websites say that he said, he never actually said. So a lot of it is utter bollocks. So particularly when I, you know, read what these other sites say, you really got to take it with a pinch of salt. And unless you hear it come from his mouth, you can't assume that he said it. And that's why he gets a bad rap. And, you know, I, I think he should... No, 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 it's, it's because he's an utter arrogant cunt. That's why. <laughs> oh. Do you know what? Yeah. I, again, I, I can't go with that just due to the fact that he's respected by some of the biggest names in the business. He's good friends with JR, Stone Cold. There are so many, you know, Chris Jericho, Mick Foley. There are so many guys that love and respect him because of what he's done. And, he, and they wouldn't if he was so shit as everybody says. So I, I can't get on that at all. Well, as much as I'd like to continue to talk about Dave Meltzer, what I realised, Matt, is I didn't actually to talk about this match. So <laughs> what did you think of this match? Do you know what? The, this match was it, was, it was fine. It was inoffensive. It was over fairly quickly. We did see, like you know, as Oban said, we, we did see the return of, of the shitty sort of spin arse kick, whatever you want to call it, which is just diabolical. I mean, pro- probably the best thing about it is Adam Baum, I'd say, probably is one of the best wrestling names I've ever heard. But other than that, yeah, this was what two minutes, something like that, maybe. It it, it was it was fine. It, it was just something to I don't know something to you know give you know Mabel something to do. It was fine. It's also worth saying it's not the only King of the Ring qualifying match on this show, although the other one is not on the pay per view portion of the show. So the other qualifying match was actually Owen Hart and the British Bulldog, and it was a dark match that happened at the end of the show after the pay per view had gone off the air, and it lasted 15 minutes. I bet that's a belter of a match. It was recorded for Raw, so it did actually get aired eventually, but it was on Raw. But I bet that was probably the best match on the show. I mean, ah, oh, what what an absolute like letdown. That's not on it. What a shame. So. Matt, what's your talking point for the show? Okay, um, my talking point for the show is the opener, and it's not necessarily for the, the quality of, of the match itself. Now, when I was watching the opener, one of the things that occurred to me specifically by, by the end of it as well, and the sort of post-match, was the opener felt like a main event. To, to the point of, I was almost like sort of stopping, you know, pressing play and making sure I was like, hang on, I have started with the opener, yeah, this isn't the end of the show. I really had to double-check, because the, the press presentation and everything felt like the main event now that, that that got me thinking there's loads of sort of wrestlers and that i said before you know you gotta you know sort of seal the show wherever you can and you know people try to do that and have the best match in the show but it made me realize that the importance of of why the opener is so important and such a big deal because you sort of got to set the scene for the rest of the show and you know you you don't want to sort of take the thunder away from the main event so to speak and and that's what I kind of picked up from this more than ever before. Because, like I said, it felt quite strange. Like, I, I, once I finished watching with the match, I was like, oh, right, okay. I mean, it, it was good and I enjoyed it. But it just, it, it felt misplaced. And I don't know, it, it just felt quite odd. And I, I didn't feel like it should have been in that spot. So it, it felt quite odd to me. 
Why did it? Why did it feel misplaced? Did you did you overestimate the importance of Hakushi in the WWF? Maybe I did. I I, I don't know. Just it, it felt the the presentation of it, the length of it. You know, the pyro at the end. You know, it just it, it felt like I was like, oh wow, this must be a really big deal. And I was thinking, this is only the opener. I was like, well, what's going on? And and then by the time you know I saw the main event, which was the opposite of that big a deal, um, it it just it felt really odd, and it felt I I don't know, it didn't quite click. So again, just the context: this is Bret Hart versus Hakushi is the opener. It's a match that goes for just under 15 minutes. And scrambling for my notes, uh, I will try and find what happens at the end. So basically, Bret reverses a German suplex attempt into a victory roll for the pin. I actually thought the 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 finish was very nifty indeed. Um. Old man, any thoughts on this? This is fucking great, isn't it? But I to address old young Matthew's point, because I, I agree a hundred percent in that I think that if you watch this fresh as you have today, uh, I would have probably watched this maybe a year or so after it was on, maybe even sooner, so that I kind of knew what was going on. But yeah, watched as a standalone show. It's like, why the fuck are you chucking this out in the opener when you've got when you've got fucking Mabel and Adam Bomb on the card. You've got the smoking fucking guns are on the card. That is their like, full f- real name as well. Smoking <laughs> fucking guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I don't know whether you were kind of alluding to this, but I think the, this match is tremendous. It's so bloody good. It's as good as I remember. It's just two guys that beat the piss out of each other, but doing it in a very exciting way. And in a way that kind of wasn't really the done thing in 1995 as well. Like the she does a few springboards off the ropes. There is the cracking clothesline cell where he goes Brett clotheslines Hakushi and he does the 360 like this isn't stuff that was happening it happens about 15 times on an episode of Raw probably nowadays or AEW this stuff wasn't happening and it was absolutely like tremendous stuff and I think they make a rod flaring back on the show because this is so much better than anything else on the card and it was always gonna be so much better than everything else on the card that I think obviously you've got and we'll get into the card later on but for those that don't know Bret Hart is pulling double duty so he's fighting Jerry Lawler as well and it's it's a setup really so he's got to fight twice on the on the card so that's why this match I'd imagine goes 15 minutes because they're like, well, we need to make it so that Brett's not just beating someone in 40 seconds and then he's still fresh for the Lula fight. And that's why it is the opener. But I do completely take your point watching it as a standalone product in 2022. Just be like, why are you lobbing this out here? This is amazing. Go on, Brett. Yeah, again, I think it's just the time when, I mean, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because when I watched watching this and it was early in my wrestling watching days, it wasn't, we've talked about this before, it wasn't about my match quality necessarily hakushi was a lower mid card guy never got any higher than that but i do remember the first time i saw hakushi which was on the was SummerSlam 95 which is later on this year um he faces the one two three kid in again the opening match fantastic match really great match and i absolutely loved him straight away he did he did a moonsault but from within the ring to the outside without even touching the ropes because he does ah. a cartwheel beforehand so there's a cartwheel into a moonsault over the top onto one two three kid and it's it's magnificent. It was the first time I'd seen anything like it. And so Hakushi made a huge impression on me, but he really wasn't an important wrestler within the WWF in the end, didn't really do anything of real note, except for this and the match with the 1-2-3 kid. Both absolutely great matches. Obviously, Jinsation Zeki was quite an important wrestler in his career and had a great look, really standout look, did some stuff, obviously in 
did loads of stuff in Japan, but did some stuff also in ECW um, at times. Had a had a very notable career, but in WWF it didn't just didn't really happen. I think this is a good match. I didn't think it was great. I think there's some messiness at the start. Like there's a few bits of miscommunication where they just clearly aren't really that comfortable with another. Probably the first time they've ever been in the ring together before, and they just struggle a little bit at the at the start to get their rhythm going. But once they do, it turns into something pretty damn good. And it's it's a good job that it's here because if it wasn't, you know, oh well, we'll get into it. But I think, as you said, old man, this is easily the best thing on the show. If you watch this and you see this as the first match, thinking, right, what else have we got on this show? Because this is going to be a cracking little event, isn't it? But it's interesting you you interpreted it that way, Matt. Like, like I, said, I mean, for me, it was it, it was mostly like sort of like, you know the, the length of the match and you know like the pyro going off at the end. And I was like, oh wow, it's like they're obviously trying to make it seem like a really big deal. And I was like, oh okay. So you know, I, I was expecting potentially you know the, the rest of the show like you said to, to kind of follow suit which you know as you'll find out you know as we go along may or may not have happened and probably the the only other sort of quick things i could say on it is the to, to be fair i i can easily see how you know some of the the high flying stuff was quite you know unique for that sort of time period so, so that was cool and the only sort of minor gripe i've got is the i, I do feel there was one really badly telegraphed sort of acai moonsault to you know to the outside it, it, nothing major but just brett was just standing there for far too long just sort of looking at him for my liking it and it just took me out a little bit but other than that th- this was good now um hakushi is uh accompanied to the ring by shinja shinja who previously had been sato from the orient express uh from I the did. early 90s yeah or shinja um also during this match there's a sign in the crowd which says bob holly couldn't drive a go-kart that's <laughs> I couldn't see it. I sort of saw Bob Holly. I was like, what does it say? Yeah, so obviously they're drawing on the fact that he is at the time Sparky Plug. And uh, yeah, couldn't couldn't drive a go-kart going to the guy in the crowd. This is also, so as you said, old man, this has kind of been set up because Hakushi has signed a match with Bret Hart. He's attacked um, Bret Hart when, so what we've had apparently on Raw is that Bret Hart has had some kind of ceremony with the Japanese press apparently kind of commending him for something and then Hakushi's taken umbrage with that and attacked Bret Hart they've signed a contract to have a match and then Jerry Lawler's produced an open contract saying that he is waiting for Bret Hart to sign the contract for a match with him and because obviously Bret's only just signed this match he's obviously being opportunistic trying to get Bret Hart in a match where he's already got to have a match earlier on in the show and that's why Bret Hart's got two matches on this show no quick note on Shinja. He is the coolest looking man <laughs> to ever accompany a wrestler to the ring. I fucking loved it. I remember when I first, I, like, I can't remember when this was, I can remember first watching this show and seeing him and just being like, that guy's fucking cool. <laughs> I'm thinking, I wonder if I could go out like that. She's wearing all the, he's wearing the white suit and he's got white face paint just covering his face. It's bloody lovely. Go on, Shinja. Well, you have to be pretty cool looking if you're going to stand next to Hakushi, who is probably the coolest looking wrestler in the world. Yeah. I mean, all the tattoos up his face and up his body, it just looks cool. I've always liked the look mm. of Hakushi. So you, you've got to be pretty cool to stand next to him. Otherwise, you're fucked. I mean, you're going to, but they kept saying that the uh, the tattoos were real. 
And I was like, they're not, are they? Because one of them comes off about three minutes into the match. <laughs> and it's like, no, don't worry. Don't worry. We don't need to think that it's real. We don't need. It's just the like you said, Tinky, just the visual of it. Mm. It's just incredible. Just leave that be. Well, DV, obviously, we'll get into the commentators later, but that's devious doc getting a bit excited, I think. Yeah, I'm impressed. We are, you know, we're good at least half an hour into the show. And you haven't mentioned the commentators once yet, old man. So I'm very, very impressed. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, the thing about that Hakushi thing as well, though, is that regardless of whether they're real or not, he's gone to the effort of putting those temp tattoos on every single fucking match. I mean, fair play to him. <laughs> right. My talking point, I'm going to go for something a little bit irreverent because, you know, why not? And this isn't like the most significant show in the history of the world. So my talking point is going to be the performance of Stephanie Wyand. So this is the second time we've seen Stephanie Wyand on a show here. When was the first time we saw Stephanie Wyand, old man? Oh, fuck. Um, Survivor Series 94? No, the first time we saw Stephanie Wyand was our very first episode. Royal Rumble Oh, 1995. of course it was. Yeah, Stephanie oh, Wyand. Oh, Stephanie. She, had, she was around for like six months. This was coming towards the end of her time with WWF. And I think her performance, given we saw at Royal Rumble 95 and she was pretty shit at Royal Rumble 95, getting everything wrong, <laughs> stammering over every word, not having a clue what she was doing, having no charisma whatsoever. You can see from this, six months later nearly, she still hasn't actually worked, been able to improve any of those things. She's still an absolute <laughs> liability to the whole show. And not only that, but they use her twice on this show. And and it's entirely all based around the whole the old house competition that you were talking about earlier on, Matt. Stephanie Wine is, is just stood, stood in front of the big screen and they've got a big old pit of letters that people have sent in to enter the competition. And she's talking about the house, house competition and shows what she presents as legitimate footage of the entries for the competition arriving with a police escort because, you know, it's so important that this is, you know, done the right way and verified properly. But she She's so fucking bad that, and, and I'm not. I'm, I try not to be too harsh because yeah. it is a difficult job. But why I think it's so significant to me is I don't know why WWF or anyone in WWF thought let's get this let's get this person on to do this work. She'll be really good at it because at no point during her entire stint in WWF. Did she show any aptitude for it? And then the second time we see her is when the competition actually takes place, which we'll talk about in a second. But yes, Stephanie Wyand. Matt, what did you make of her performances? Do you know, I, I almost was going to answer your question for you then. You know, what, what were they thinking? Why would they get it on? It's for the same that they bring half the, you know, the, the commentators and announcers and ring announcers they do today. Is they want a pretty face on the show. That, that That's probably what it was. I agree with you. She was rather shit. When you started, I was almost expecting you to say, She's improved. So the fact that she was worse, wow. But yeah, she was no good. Yeah, what, again, I answer my own question. They got her there because it was a pretty face to put on TV. That's it. You, you don't need a pretty face when you've got Todd Pettengale. That's the thing. <laughs> Did you know she was introduced to the WWF on uh, an episode of WWF Mania where she was <laughs> she was given to Todd Pettengale as a Christmas present? <laughs> oh, God. There you go. <laughs> That says it all, doesn't it? 
She's uh, quite grating, isn't she? I mean, you can't fault the enthusiasm. You really can't. She's she is working hard, but like you said, like there's clearly no direction. There's no there's no discernible like broadcasting talent there. And what she does do when they're on screen together, she really knocks old Pettengill, who is a consummate professional, really knocks him off his game as well, which is a bit disappointing. And a quick word while we're talking about Todd, he'll get mentioned later on, but his mullet. It's a good job Tommy ain't doing this because he'd have been off work for a week, I think, vomiting. <laughs> it is repugnant. It, it isn't that great, but you know what? Ain't the worst mullet on the show. And I will leave that one hanging out there for everybody for a little while until we get to it. No, she's terrible. And you know what? If you find Stephanie Wine's Wikipedia page, it says that, that this immortal sentence, she was brought in to replace Randy Savage, who had left the company... <laughs> <laughs> so basically, <laughs> Stephanie Ryan was brought in to replace Randy Savage on the announced team. Obviously, because Savage, had, not as a wrestler, obviously, <laughs> but um, that was what it was. She, uh, he was the co-host of Mania, I believe, with Todd Pettengill. So uh, yeah, that's what uh, that's what happened. So yeah, she's she's terrible. I mean, she's got no better. That's the point. She's just got no better than she was when she we saw at the Rumble '95. As I said, we'll talk about now this uh, this house raffle thing. So. This takes place before the main event. Todd Pettengill and Stephanie Wyand present the house raffle. They show a video of the house in Florida, which is the prize. It's in Orlando. Todd goes to get a rake and uh, sifts through the entries with the rake. This is all done jovially, jokes and, and sort of elbows and, and nods and winks and goodness knows what else. Wyan then picks out one of the entries. Then two people, I think I got their name right. It's Len Dakin and Laurie Sif. Check the veracity of the draw. That's all they're there to do. It's two gormless people just come onto the screen. Stephanie Wyan gives them the envelope or Pettengill gives them the envelope and they go, yeah, that's all fine. And then Todd Pettengill takes it back. He then calls the winner. He gets the number wrong. What a twat. He gets the wrong fucking number. What an absolute <laughs> twat. Then I gets through to Matt Pompicelli, who's the winner. And there's lots of screaming from the household of the Pompicellis. Uh, they are apparently in Henderson, Nevada. And then some fireworks go off, some pyro, some excitement. It's not the most exciting thing. But you know what? As these kind of competitions go, we saw one at SummerSlam 97. At least it was brief. Yeah, and it was not as much of a shit show as I thought it was from my memory. I remembered, I was dreading this because I, it was going to make me a little bit uncomfortable, I thought, because it was going to be so bad. But luckily, it was all right. Now, a little note on Matt Pompicelli. So I might have been very excited to get the house, but they sold it uh, six months later. Did they? <laughs> yeah, no way. How did you, how did yeah. you find this out? So WWE.com interviewed him in, uh, I think it's 2012. Amazing. Yes. Yeah, so um, he was 11 years old when he won it. So I'm guessing that Matt Pompicelli, who was on the phone, was not Matt Pompicelli Jr., who actually won it. Mm. Weird. What a- it says it was won by an 11-year-old resident, so maybe. You you would, though, wouldn't you? Because you're not going to move from like, Henderson, Nevada. You're not going to move from there all the way to Orlando, Florida. No. So you're going to you're gonna sell it and be like, yes, that's a couple of hundred thousand dollars that we didn't have before this competition. Thank you very much. He's on yeah. Twitter, uh, apparently. Oh, what's his, what's his Twitter name? It's at Mr. Underscore In Your House. <laughs> <laughs> and he's listed as the official WWE In Your House winner. <laughs> That's amazing. That's that's almost yeah. as good as finding the guy with the cummerbund that was on the WCW show that we watched yeah. a few few months ago. <laughs> One last note on uh, 
old Mac. So I feel like we've feel like we put him over quite big here. So he was greeted at the new house by everyone's favourite child lickers, the Bushwhackers. Um, we also find out that Doc Hendricks says he's been a friend of Matt for years. <laughs> and uh, he talks about going down there for some uh, for some R&R. Vince has a massive smile on his face during all this. It, this this <laughs> strikes me as the kind of thing that Vince absolutely loves because he's utter shit. Yeah. Well, he, does, he does, though, doesn't he? Because, like, f- for years, like, even over the last, like, you know, 10 to 20 years, he's still tried to do the big money-making sort of competitions like you know the, the two in particular that spring to mind over like probably the last you know sort of decade probably you know, longer than that probably but is McMahon's Million Dollar Mania if anybody can remember that shit show mm-hmm. and what was it oh, the, the Diva Search where you know Miz infamously had to give out the number and basically he wrote it down on his hand and forgot the number and had to make it up so live on air they love these type of competition things and this was still better than those two so Matt the McMahon million dollar giveaway that was what just a couple of years ago wasn't it so yeah it was was last year that was I'm sure That was um, that was actually a recycled idea that WCW used back in the very late years of its um, running. So Vince should have known better. I forgot they yeah I forgot they did something like that. But honestly, like they tried to make this seem like a half decent sort of segment, but it's it, it just little things that made me laugh. Like you know when, when they called the guy and Todd and Stephanie and Stephanie was obviously trying to <laughs> to put it over as well, and she was giggling like a school child while they were trying to call him. It was just so pathetic. But it was so funny. I need to uh, come in on McMahon's Million Dollar Mania or whatever it was. So this is the segment that was so bad that he kind of had the set fell apart around him, didn't it? So that they would then never do it again. And it's got the incredible thing where Triple H comes out with some people to help him. And he just goes, Pops, Pops. He just goes, Paul, help me, Paul. I was like, oh, I can't feel my legs, Paul, or something like that. It's so hammy and shitty. It's fucking amazing. God, yeah, this one, man. It, the, the, the step fell on it, didn't it? It like fell on him yeah. and he had to like, and that's how they ended it, was that? And it was like one of a couple of times where they basically killed Vince McMahon off. Mm-hmm. And they've had to like undo it because like, for whatever reason, it was in bad taste. I, I think the second time might have been around, was it around Benoit's death? It was. Yeah, yeah. I think they were gonna blow up a limo though. He's in. I, I can't remember if they actually did it. I think they yeah, did. I think they did do yeah, it. They, they like, did, yeah. And then like about a month later, Benoit. What happened with Benoit happened, and then he had to kind of knock it on the head. They knocked it on the head like immediately because it was the raw after the, the weekend that that had all happened. He made the speech, didn't he, in yeah. the ring? And they were all saying how sad it was. And then it all came out like the following day, and he had to retract it live on SmackDown, I think. ECW. It was on ECW. It was, yeah. It was it. Show, yeah. It was before ECW, and he said that they wouldn't say his name again, basically, I think. Right, so that brings us to the end of our talking points. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll go through all of the rest of the show and all the bits we haven't yet covered. So we'll see you on the other side. Standing with a very pensive World Wrestling Federation champion, Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Let me ask you, Diesel, where's your head right now? What are you thinking? Well, uh... My head's a couple of different places. Number one, it's Mother's Day, and uh, if anybody knows me and knows anything about me, knows my history, I lost my mother right after Christmas last year. So this is the first Mother's Day that uh, I've been without a mom, and you know, it, it really gives me a chance to reflect on how important this day is. And you know, even though I lost my mother, I'd like to say uh, Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. 
Well, it certainly has been a, a rough weekend for you, considering what happened with Henry Godwin, 310 pounds, obviously not directly linked with a million-dollar corporation, but no question working on their behalf. Got to ask you about the lower back. Physically, how are you feeling? You know, Todd, it seems like you know every day in the World Wrestling Federation, another 300-pound guy comes in the door that's got a lot of ability and you know, with the, with the world title around my waist, I seem to be a, a marked man. And Ted DiBiase, you know, went out and acquired him for the night and uh, didn't work. As you can see, Big Daddy Cool is here, live in a living color. And Sid, 100%, buddy, 100%. You know, Diesel, you talked about losing your mom. Obviously, a tough time in your life. And to a lesser degree, friends are an important part of life, too. And I'm sure you've had to rethink a lot of things with Shawn Michaels. Now, tonight is going to be very important. You know Shawn's going to be out there watching. i got to believe that this time it's more than just another title shot for you. It's, a, it's personal. I mean, you know Sean's out. Am I right? How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, Sid's got to be stopped, you know, without a doubt. And uh, what he did to Sean, you know, he's really lit a fire in Big Daddy Cool. You know, he's telling everybody he's the master. Well, I am the walrus, goo goo kachu. Sid, Big Daddy Cool in the house, coming at you, baby. I can't wait. What do we got, about an hour? About an hour away. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Sid. You ain't seen nothing like you're going to see tonight. Happy Mother's Day. All right, apparently there's also some commotion out uh, near the squared circle. Let's get you back to ringside. Okay, welcome back. So we're now going to go through the rest of the show, starting with an intro video voiced by Todd Pettengill. Um, I've written here that it does seem to be a special In Your House song because there's, there's a hint of something played during this video, but I haven't been able to find it. The, the reason I say that is because certainly In Your House 2 and In Your House 3 there is a special piece of in-your-house music, and I think they're different each time. So I was hoping there would be another different one for this show, but I, I'm not sure I couldn't find it. Then we get introduced to our commentary team, which is Vincent Mann and Doc Hendricks, another unique combination. And now, old man, here is your chance to talk about the commentary team. Oh, uh, well, you know what? It's weird. <laughs> It's really uh, so. Vince is great. I thought. I know Vince is really good on this. And I didn't think that Doc Hendricks was too bad when he was just talking. It was when I think he suddenly like he felt like he had to play a character that I think he really like misstepped and kind of went away from it. Like he, because he's not really a heel. He's not really a face. He's not really anything. He's just a guy talking about wrestling, and he's pretty good at that. And he's not using his, uh, hi, I'm Doc Hendricks voice at uh, this time, which is helpful. But uh, yeah, I thought they were okay. They were inoffensive. I enjoyed Doc Hendricks saying that he gets golf privileges on the house in the opening section. But he then repeats that about eight times during the show. And I was like, come on, mate. And this is a man, as in myself, who loves to repeat a joke because it gets funnier every yeah. time you say it. Absolutely. Remember, old man, remember. Yeah, precisely. Look at that. Like Vince, we've talked about this. Vince's enthusiasm is second to none. And I really feel like he's leading this as well. He's properly leading the commentary because he's not next to Gorilla or anyone like that. And I just thought, you know what? Fair fucks, Vince. Fair fucking fucks. Fuck. (laughs) I think Matt's going to have a different opinion to you, old man. Fuck. I do as well. And I'm looking forward to it. Fuck. <laughs> uh, do you know what? And, and you're absolutely right as well. I'll, I'll try and say something nice first. I mean, 
I suppose you're right. You can't fault the enthusiasm. That That's probably as nice as I'll go. But other than that, there's very few shows where I can kind of watch without commentary because I, I really need it. This is one of the ones where had I known what the commentary was like, I would have happily muted it from start to finish. It was just so over the top, way too much. And about by about halfway through, Vince in particular for me was just insufferable. It was just way too much. I can see how it'll appeal for some people, but just not for me. And, and Docs as well, just, oh God, just the, they're not a combination that, that I'm looking forward to hearing again anytime soon. I, I could have done without hearing the phrase, what a manoeuvre, after almost every single hold and move. <laughs> That's part of what was just irritating. It's like, they do something. Oh, what a manoeuvre. Like, oh, again? Come up with something else. One, two, three. Oh, yeah, no, he didn't. No. <laughs> um, one thing he did say in this opening to the show, almost sent me off on a bad foot, and we covered this. Saturday Night's Main Event 1. It's fucking Mother's Day again, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was looking forward to, to bringing that up, old man. Because it's certainly, in, in America, it is Mother's Day again uh, at this period. Uh, yes, this is a Mother's Day show, and they make a lot of hay out of it. Mm. So, the, luckily, they don't fucking drill it in like they did at Saturday Night's Main Event 1. And there is, there is actually quite a touching moment around it. So when that happens, and we'll get to that, I was a bit like, cool, I cool, okay, I'll let it go. That Saturday Night's Main Event 1, it was all so framed around it. You've got Junkyard Dog's mum having a little dance, which I quite enjoyed, but then all the shenanigans like after the in-ring stuff had finished. So they got away with it on this. And also, I love my mum, so... That touching moment that you're talking about, that's uh, just before the Jerry Lawler match, isn't it? With uh, him and his mother. I can I can imagine that's what you're talking about. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so the uh, the Mother's Day shenanigans actually starts before the first match because Bret Hart dedicates his matches with Hakushi and uh, Jerry Lawler to his mother, Helen Hart. He's been he's interviewed by Todd Pettengill at that moment. Actually, there's a there's a there's some clips of the build up to the match with Hakushi. We obviously we've talked about Bret Hart versus Hakushi, so we then go to at the Superstar Line location. So it's worth saying that after the Bret Hart Hakushi matches match ends when Bret Hart wins, he then as he's leaving the ring, he jumps down from the apron and lands on his knee awkwardly, or at least he acts as if he's landed on it awkwardly. We then see Jerry Lawler at the Superstar Line location speaking to Todd Pettengill. Now, Jerry Lawler during the segment is trying to get the match with Bret Hart started. He knows he's got his match with Bret Hart. He's just seen that Bret Hart's picked up an injury supposedly to his knee. So he wants the match to happen straight away. Todd Pettengill's telling him, no, he can't do that because Bret's, you know, Bret's hurt. And uh, he's only just finished his other match. All the while this is going on. The people I'm feeling sorry for are poor old Stan Lane and Alundra Blaze, who are on the superstar line right in front of them, can't hear a bloody thing that the people talk to you about. And so they are having to work doubly hard. They're like, literally, they're looking at, the, they're kind of doing that thing where they're kind of holding the, the earpieces to their to their head really hard to see if they can, like, block out the noise from behind them. And every now and again, giving Jerry Law and Todd Pettengill really dirty looks. Like, I'm trying to work here, guys. Fuck it now. It's lunacy, isn't it? No, it was just, Alundra Blaze, not Luna Vachon. Uh, sorry. Yeah, just how loud they're being. And like, borderline offensive. It's like, yeah, just not interested in listening to you, to be honest. Yeah, th- this segment ends when Lawler gets a page and he says that it's his mother who wants to see him. We see mm-hmm. Jerry Lawler's mother later on, so we'll talk about that. 
you know, very, very quickly as well, I, I will admit that when I first saw that, um, you know, Laura was campaigning for this match after Brett, you know, supposedly injured himself, I, I learned, and we'll get to it later when we talk about the Lola-Brett match, but I learned a valuable lesson about letting things play out. And like I said, we'll we'll get there, but I learned a valuable lesson, to be fair. Good, so were you, were you not happy about this at this time then? I, I I was rather seething to be perfectly honest. When he st- you know when he sort of you know stepped up the ring and then injured himself, I was like, what? <laughs> he's just had a match and just I literally was thinking he's supposed to be the excellence of execution and he injures himself by stepping out of the ring like some B level rookie. I was like, what the hell is that about? So I was absolutely raging. Oh, oh, man, I think what we found is that he fell for it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's how good Brett is. You fell for it. <laughs> Brilliant. It, it was more, I was thinking, how could they tell him to do that? Why would they do that when they could have done, like, some post-match, you know, shenanigans or whatever? I was thinking, or why he- the hell would they do it by him just getting out of the ring? I was like, oh, no. Or even in the match. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I said, we'll we'll get to my humble pie later. Cool. Nom, 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 nom. Delicious pie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, then we get the Stephanie Wine bit where she soldiers on through the shit that she did. And then it's to one, two, three kid joining Vince and Doc via phone before a Razor Ramon's <sighs> match with Jeff Jarrett and the roadie. So uh, one, two, three kid says that he's out of action, but says he wants to be there so bad to team with Razor and is watching the match very closely. As soon as his injuries are healed up, he'll get his revenge. That's what I got from this, but it was very difficult to hear. The phone quality wasn't particularly good. Yeah, couldn't you think? No. Wasn't the best, was it? No. The, the, the best was pretty fucking far away from this. <laughs> yeah. Just not, not a good idea. That's what I can understand. It's like, you've got someone on the phone. Like, it's just not, no, don't do it, don't do it. But they wanted to, and they did. So we had to deal with it. <laughs> so then we get an interview with Razor. Uh, we got Vince and Doc at the commentary position who are interviewing Razor from the backstage area. Razor says that it's been two on one since day one. And then he says, happy Mother's Day to his mother. So the Mother's Day theme does continue right the way through this, old man. Mm. So the next match, Razor Ramon versus Jeff Jarrett and the roadie. In a handicap match, apparently, according to Doc Hendricks, the first ever one-on-two handicap match on WWE pay-per-view. Interesting. I noticed during this match that there are very quite a few empty seats in this arena, in, in empty seats on the side opposite the hard cam as well. WWF were pretty good at hiding where there were empty empty seats. So it suggests that it was so empty they couldn't even fill the hard cam, similar to the episode Old Man that you covered last week about the AWA. Yes, that was something I had noted down because that was very noticeable, in particular during this match. I thought it wasn't necessarily that noticeable through the rest of the card, but I did think I was like, oh, that's a bit sad, isn't it? Because it's hardly the biggest arena in the world. Well, this was this was a time when WWF were doing some of its worst business ever. I think 95 yeah. and 96 were the two years where they had their worst years, effectively. The match itself goes for 12 and a half minutes and it ends when Ramon hits Rhodey with a back suplex off the second rope. Jarrett then attacks Ramon's knee from behind, goes for the figure four, but Ramon kicks him, sending him into the Rhodey and then hits the razor's edge for the victory. Old man, your thoughts on this one? Well, we're starting off hot because kids just holding foam razors. I was always always <laughs> a bit lying on a minute. Do you know what they use those razors for, don't you? But then I thought, well, they probably don't, to be honest. 
So you've got the roadie, the road dog, Jesse James, the D-O-double-G. Not very good. We know this. It's not very good. Jeff Jarrett, buying average. Just buying average. Not bad. Not great. Absolutely fine. Razor could carry, well, not now, sadly, because he's passed away, but uh, he could have carried us three, I think, through a three-on-one handicap match, in particular at this point. And that is very much what happens here. Like It's all on the old. It's all on the bad guy. And I thought this was as good as it could have been. The guy for me that really caught me off guard was the roadie, because he does a couple of things off the top rope, off the second rope, and he's he's kind of playing that part. So whenever you've got a who isn't a full-time wrestler at least in that promotion at that time what they tend to do is they'll go in and they'll throw a few punches they'll back off and then they'll get a bit cocky and he played that part absolutely perfectly i'm afraid of him so like we we talked about this we put him over at wrestlemania 10 we've put him over before he's so fucking good he is absolutely like phenomenal in particular in this my one gripe with the match is that it is probably a couple of minutes too long. But I did all, I was also from memory and also from knowing what the rest of the card was, I did know that this was the second high point on the show. So I was kind of just enjoying that and enjoying the fact that I wasn't going to want to peel my eyes out. Well, back to your point as well about the kind of, you know, Matt, your point about Brad Hart Hakushi feeling like the main event. That is the longest match on the show, just under 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. This is the second longest match on the show. It's the second match of the night. So you might be right in, in terms of them going a bit long, maybe. Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, it, um, this this did feel like the second, or at least one of the longest matches uh, on the show as well. Do you know, it, it's, it's hard for for me to, to sort of describe this one really because I don't, really don't think that there was that much to it not, not in a bad way I mean there was nothing particularly great nor was there nothing particularly sort of bad about it I mean probably you know the, the best thing I can say there is that everybody did their job you know everybody did what they were supposed to do to be fair I, I do think Razor definitely deserves some credit for, for probably carrying them probably to something probably better than they might have had with somebody else like I said it, there really wasn't a lot to it. One of the noticeable things for me is I didn't realise how big a guy Razor Ramon is. Like, when you were comparing him to Jeff, I mean, good God, I didn't realise he was that big. So, so that was certainly noticeable. The, the post-match for me was a bit was a bit on the odd side with, you know, the supposed unknown man, you know, coming in and, and, and helping and, and saving the day. And it just, it, it, all, it all seemed a bit weird, the fact that some random person had jumped into the ring and I was thinking, where the hell is security? Why, why have, why has nobody gone into the ring and taken this supposed unknown person out? It, it was all a bit, it was a bit odd. So yeah, after the match, Rhodey attacks Razor Ramon, and uh, he and Jarrett put the boots to uh, Razor Ramon. Jarrett puts the figure four on him. Then Aldo Montoya runs in to make the save, but Jarrett knocks him down from behind, and he's dunked to the outside by both Rhodey and Jarrett. Then the unknown hits the ring and takes out both men. Refs and official then uh, show up and uh, police escort him away. So that's the aftermatch stuff. This is quite a regular trope of, of pro wrestling, though, isn't it? The unknown fan who jumps in to save the baby face. Like Steve Blackman was introduced to WWF that way. I, I, my mind's gone completely blank, but there will have been others as well. <laughs> it's, a, it's a regular thing. It's one of those sort of kind of regular things that happen every four or five years just as a way to introduce someone. Of course, Tavio Vega was 
the unknown man and he had already been in the WWF as Quang so he wasn't really a new wrestler but uh, there you go that's what I found so strange about it is that they were like oh yeah there's this new guy here and I was like hang on a minute this is Savio Vega and I'm glad you said Quang because I can remember what he was called before but it was a bit like hang on He's been at least a couple of years, I think. I also, um, so they do the promo a bit later on in the show afterwards. And I felt like it would have, at least for like, obviously the people in the audience don't get this, but it would have benefited ourselves if we'd have had that pretty much straight after. And then you could have like gone through with because they cut a lovely little promo together, the little pals. Very touching. Yeah, it was. Best of friends. So in my opinion on this match, I thought this was really good. I did. I thought this was really good. I, I really think Razor Ramon and Jeff Jarrett have really good chemistry. Their match mm-hmm. at the Rumble 95 that they have for the Intercontinental title, we reviewed in our first ever show, and I think we all agreed that was a, a really decent match. Interesting, Matt, what you say about Razor Ramon's size. So I think we've discussed this before. One of the reasons why I think Razor Ramon was underrated and perhaps also didn't quite make it to the very top is because of the fact that he was very often associated with Kevin Nash, who was just a little bit taller and a little bit bigger but razor was a really big guy but also could really go a fantastic wrestler and i think he shows it in this match and i i think jeff jarrett and the roadie are perfectly capable as well you know i i'm a big again a big detractor of jeff jarrett but in fairness that's only because he has managed to convince a large amount of the fans these days that he's actually important to the business when he wasn't at all so in fairness he's a decent wrestler that's where i would put him he's another mid as i've said before a mid card cody another one of your favorites matt cody rhodes similar sort of thing similar sort of vibe cody rhodes has managed to convince everyone that he's really important to pro wrestling and he's really he not he's really not he's just not like he's just he's just a decent mid-card style wrestler this is where we get our our other mullet this is where we get our mullet that trumps old todd pettingill it's not on the road dog it's not on jeff jarrett and it's not on razor ramon it's on mike kyoda mike kyoda's yeah. mullet is an absolute <laughs> fucking sensation and to be honest if we ever rebranded this podcast it would be called mike kyoda's mullet <laughs> <laughs> and we also get uh get tom's favorite Rene goulet don't we oh yes one of the officials who comes yeah. out yeah yeah he comes out i tell you what he's he pulls double duty because he comes out later on as well he's broken his little socks off <laughs> well he's probably like agenting matches as well backstage and all kinds so yeah what a fucking pro the thing i took out of this though which is that razor ramon just super over as ever as he was as a baby face like throughout his run from about mid 93 right through to about middle of 95 just so super over as a baby face and i think if diesel hadn't been around i think he would have been the man that vince looked to in 95 to be the champion and see if he could carry the company but uh, unfortunately diesel was there as well yeah so he went for a man with about an eighth of the talent well i think that's actually probably over-egging it to be <laughs> I honest an eighth of the talent which is uh i mean we'll get to the main event but fucking hell like i'd kind of forgotten just how i'd say not good <laughs> kevin nash is all right you're, you're dangerously close to spoiling the end of this show so uh let's just uh let's just hold our horses <laughs> for a minute well i i what i'd like to do is just spoil the rest of it <laughs> just by being me let's call that a teaser <laughs> so up next there's a king of the ring advert with medieval type characters watching Aww. wwe oh man like this it is 
fan fucking test. These medieval lads are having a scrap, and I'm like, at the start, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be like shit. Like someone wins, and then they get something, but then they get told that the King of the Rings on the telly, so they all just get in front of it and sit down and watch it. And I was laughing me that head off about this because I was like, it's so crap, but so amazing as well. They just don't they don't make videos like this anymore. <laughs> We've said this loads of times because this is our era, Tinky, when we started properly, properly watching it. These kind of things are like, what was it uh, Tommy said? I can't remember. He said something about <laughs> it, like about it running through his veins and giving him life or something. And it's about the um, Saturday Night's main event music. That's what these promo videos do for me. These old style cheesy ones. It was cheesy little numbers. So uh, then we get Jerry Lauder backstage arguing with WWF President Jack Tunney about wanting his match with Bret Hart now. There was somebody else here and I don't know who it was. There was another old no. guy with Jack Tunney. I've no idea who it was. So it uh, wasn't uh, Rene Goulet. Wasn't Pat Patterson. Wasn't anyone I recognise. So don't know. Anyone who knows, let us know because I didn't know it was. Um, just a very quick question, Matt. Are you aware of who Jack Tunney is? <laughs> very briefly, yeah. Very briefly familiar with him. So this is without a doubt Jack Tunney's best work, best on-screen work <laughs> in WWE. <laughs> It's like, without a doubt, because he doesn't do anything. To say that he's a charisma vacuum would be kind. He is just, oh, he's terrible, isn't he? Like, really wooden, very corporate America, which is, I'm guessing, what they were going for. But yeah, it's for one of these things as well. His first name was actually John. <laughs> a fucking chunk, isn't it? Absolute chunk. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I think that's exactly what they were going for with this guy. Is he's meant to be completely bland because the idea yeah. is here. He's not. He's not here to be a character. He's not here to do anything but arbitrate things. He's a little device, to ha- a little plot device that helps you know the stories go along. So like he'll be the one who comes along and strips someone of the title when there's controversy. But he won't do it because he dislikes someone or or likes someone. He'll just do it because that's what's required in that moment. So. That's that's what they were going for, and I just wish they'd do it again now. I, I get the impression Adam Pierce is a little bit like this. Yeah, a little, a little bit, yeah. Anyway, we then get some uh, a little bit of a hype video, not for the main event, but just for Sid beating up Aldo Montoya. Um, then we also see him joining the Million Dollar Corporation, attacking Shawn Michaels and attacking Razor Ramon on Raw. Any thoughts on this little video? Wow, oh, I'm a big Sid guy, so I'm not going to blow me load too fast, but we get to hear his music. <laughs> So what I'm going to go with, because we get a promo later on. Oh, mate. <laughs> oh, oh, good old softball, Sid. So before poor old man talks himself into an orgasm, Matt, any thoughts on the video? <laughs> I love Sid. I, I, I still, oh, I fucking hell. No, buddy, more, multiple orgasms. I, I, I don't know what it is about. The, there's just something about him. There's just there's something captivated about the guy. I don't know what it is. When he's on screen, I'm 100% paying attention. I, I love this video. It's it's great. Cool. So after this, Mabel and Adam have their match. We're not going to talk about that again as much as uh, Old Man probably would like to. We then go backstage to Todd Pettengill with Razor Ramon, um, who introduces Savio Vega, one of the biggest stars from the Caribbean, according to Razor. Ramon says it's good to have Vega by his side. And Vega says nobody messes with Vega or Razor Ramon. I feel like Savio Vega is probably not made for the mic. Because he does look a bit scared. And then he just starts talking. So I think Todd Pettengill is like doing his wrap up. And then Savio Vega just starts having a chat with Razor Ramon. He's like, hang on, mate. Come on. 
Wind your neck in. You've got excited there, haven't you? But Razor Ramon, again, it's just great, isn't he? It's just great on the stick. God, oh, Razor. Rest in peace, good man. Do you know what? Just one, one important question. Caribbean or Caribbean? Well, obviously Caribbean is the British way of saying it, and Caribbean is the American <laughs> way of saying it, but I actually prefer Caribbean. I think it sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> it's what it's what Ving Rhames says in Pulp Fiction when he's talking mm. to he's on the phone to someone I can't remember who it is now it's I think it's Samuel L. Jackson and uh, yeah it's just when the guy's been shot in the head I think and anyway Ving Rhames says kicking it in the Caribbean and it, it sounds really cool so I've always liked Caribbean better than Caribbean it just sounds See, odd to me I get where you're both coming from because it does sound odd but then you look at the structure of the word and it's one of these where like it can be either way because it's double B. It doesn't really matter how you say it. Not like aluminium and aluminum. Oh. Well, there's a there's an eye. You're missing an eye there. Yeah. And if you keep saying aluminum, you'll be missing two eyes. Because I'll take them. I'll have well, your eyes. In fairness, if we're going to start getting like we can all be British about this and get all snotty about the Americans if we want. Right, we but can. Let's, be, let's be honest. We have the most ridiculous language in the world. And just to illustrate this point, right? So it is Leicester, and it is Worcester, and it is. T- toaster and it is bister so why the fuck is it siren sester <laughs> explain that one to me uh, it's big c comes after an n what <laughs> no because you can't say sirenster why not because it's hard to say sirenster is not hard you to imagine say. trying to say imagine trying to say sirenster after a couple of points and then you end up somewhere else sirenster surely sirenster mm, maybe sirenster. don't know it's not hard it's not hard at all it's just bullshit so yeah <laughs> we can we can be all snotty if we want to but let's be honest we have got a fucking we've had a mayor with our, with our own fucking place names mm. so let's not be too silly about it right moving on we have jerry lauder coming to the ring still arguing with wwf officials even as the smoking guns are making their entrance for the next match then the camera goes backstage and shows Bret hart with an ice pack on his knee very very briefly very very sad little scene this is where Bret Brett's got his head down and kind of waves the camera away as if he's annoyed with it. It reminded me a little bit of that thing in the, well, I can't remember what show it was, but basically where Randy Orton's backstage and he's just walking around and the camera's just there. The difference being that Vince actually says, oh, we've got a camera back there with Brett and presumably there's sort of some attempt to show that they're trying to get a word from him, but he's not interested. Poor Brett. Poor, poor Brett. Looking very, very sad on Mother's Day. Well, I just can't imagine how cut up Matt must have been at this point he's been sold hook line and sinker by this so yeah. were you still angry at this point i, I was still seething <laughs> <laughs> lovely love absolutely love it right next up is the wwf tag team title match it features owen hart and yokozuna the champions against the former champions the smoking guns this one lasts just under six minutes and it ends when bart gun misses a crossbody and falls through the ropes yokozuna then drops the leg on the outside Rolls Bart back in the ring and Owen pins him. Matt, your thoughts on this? Um, well, for a start, believe it or not, I generally didn't know that that was Billy Gunn, despite, despite <laughs> the fact that they called this. It took me a while to catch on. I was like, I know. <laughs> I know. I was like, that's fucking Billy Gunn. <laughs> this, is the, this is the guy who thought Brett was legitimately injured by the fucking uh, thing. <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> and I've seen Billy Gunn do like a Q&A as well so I've seen him in person so it just took me a while to catch on but anyway Owen Hart and Yokozuna is I, I don't know what you guys say it, to me is such a random team as soon as I saw that they were I was like what did you 
I, I don't know what it is about that. That just seems such a very random team. It's a weird one for me because I think you're probably right. It, it is a bit random when I think about it. But to me, it's completely natural. But I think the reason why I think of it as being completely natural. So the idea is obviously that Owen... If you think about WrestleMania 10, so Owen's obviously still annoyed at Brett, still jealous at the fact that Brett's won the world championship. He's still jealous as the year goes on because he can't beat Brett for it. And Owen's never won a title before. So it goes into WrestleMania 11 against the Smoking Guns with a mystery partner. And that mystery partner is the man who beat his brother for the world title it's Yokozuna. So for me, there is a there is a method to it, even if you're probably right, it is pretty random. See, if only the commentary right. team explained that a little bit better. Well, I mean, would they have to explain it every time you saw them though as a team? Like that, if you think about that as a just a part of the story, it's it's already been told. Touche. <laughs> I think as well, like the obvious reason why they're paired up is because Yokozuna is absolutely enormous terrifyingly large so this is I believe this is just before they send him off basically to get fit and he just comes back even bigger and I think it's not long after that that they actually because uh, I heard uh, Pritchard talk about this on his podcast he just said like they were worried worried that what happened to him in the end would happen to him if they kept him in that environment very sad it may be it may be I get these every now and then like I had it must be a couple of months ago with Mr. Perfect as well I was watching this I was watching him walk down to the ring and I was like oh that's fucking sad isn't it and then you look at the size of him and it's like oh fucking hell poor old Yoko yeah the, the story He's made a little bit sadder by the fact that it was WWF who initially encouraged him to put on weight because he yeah. was not that he wasn't this big. So he's more mm. Rikishi sized, if you like, in about sort of mid 92, you know, when he first joined WWF and they encouraged him to put on the weight so that he would look more of a monster. And um, you watch his early stuff when he was sort of 500 pounds or they build as 500 pounds and he's big, but he's still he can still move. He can still actually move. At this point, though, it was it was getting ridiculous. It, it was evident in this that, that he couldn't really move. And it, it was actually quite sad. Like, I haven't seen that much of him. Um, and to be honest, you, there's not a lot you could really say about this because, you know, like I said, he, he was just so big that he just couldn't really move. And so obviously Owen had to do the work. So in terms of the match itself, there's some decent little stuff here. The drop kick by Bart on Owen in particular, I thought was excellent. Then Vince has the temerity. So this is where I would be happy for anyone to criticise Vince McMahon. He has the temerity to compare Owen's spinning heel kick to Mabel's that happened. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> but it's not very long is it it's about like it's less than six minutes and you're like yokozuna yeah. doesn't have to do anything so it's not because yokozuna is there he can just stand on the outside owen's gonna owen's gonna carry the match anyway so what's the big deal the smoking guns are not bad they're, they're average wrestlers they're fine their act was relatively over not massively over it was a as I said earlier on, it was a time when tag team wrestling was in a real slump. They didn't have any decent tag teams. But I just thought this was strange. It was only sort of six minutes. It was strange. And what I found even stranger was that they were getting going. And oh, oh Bart Gunn. So leading leads to the finish because he then gets um, gets leg dropped by Yokozuna. He does a lovely dive through the ropes. That looks cracking. It's going to kick off here. And then it doesn't. And I was a bit like, ah, oh, and then it was done. And yeah, it all seems a bit pointless, doesn't it? I mean, it's a, it's obviously a way of highlighting the um the older smoking gunners as the challenges, <laughs> and to get y- Yokozuna, who is an attractive 
question, isn't he? Just the sheer size of the man. But yeah, it all seemed a bit of a waste. And I think that's why I felt extra sad. The middle bit of this show felt feels really weird to me. So you've had two quite long matches to start the show off. Mm-hmm. And then they just like you have the two minute match from Mabel and Mom. Then this lasts for five and a half minutes. And I thought it was going to last a good ten. And then you have the next match, which, again, is is, is re- really short as well. So even though this is a two-hour a two pay-per-view, in fact, it only lasts for an hour and 40, 45 minutes, I think. Even though that's the case, I still expected more from these matches at this point in time. Yeah, just just a bit short, a uh, bit of a shame that they just didn't give them more time. Because I thought this was, as you said, oh man, I thought this was gearing up for something relatively decent at one point, but then never really gets there. Interesting that Bart Gunn is by far the best gun in this match as well i thought oh matt's not matt shaking his head apparently matt likes monty kip sop i love him <laughs> that's probably a lot of sort of nostalgia talking there I, I gotta be honest but yeah just i've always i don't know what it is i've always liked billy gunn so that's the better gun for me so 100 percent, like no doubt in my mind at all you are the only person that's ever said i love billy gunn <laughs> not even a question i like people would say i love having the shits more often than they'd say i love billy gunn (laughs) any wrestler who at some point in their career is called mr ass and comes out to a theme a theme song about how much he loves asses is is just great and he pulls it off this is the guy who didn't like Doink the Clown, and he likes Mr. Ass. I mean, come on. <laughs> Just got no class at all. No if, class. If Doink the Clown came out to a song about talking about how much he loves asses, then maybe I would have liked him too. <laughs> but Hill Doink comes out to arguably the greatest wrestling music of all time. It's pretty good. And then it all goes dark. It's fan-fucking-tastic. We've already established as well. Uh, the, only, the only reason he's called Mr. Ass is because his name is Monty Kip Sop. <laughs> what a fucking shit name that is. Right. Next up. <laughs> here's where the Mother's Day stuff gets a little bit serious. So backstage, Todd Bettengill interviews Diesel. Diesel says that it's his first Mother's Day without his mother. Um, Todd asks about his back following an attack by uh, Henry Godwin, orchestrated by DBOC. Diesel says that the WWF champion's a marked man, but he says that the attack didn't work and he's 100%. He says Sid has got to be stopped after what he did to Sean. He's lit a fire under him. Says he's the warus, goo goo gichu. This is a classic bit of Diesel as well as champion because he does say he's lit a fire under him, but he's very, very relaxed very very calm and then right at the end of the promo diesel gears up suddenly and starts going oh i'm gonna beat you ah! uh, me and tom are massive fans of one of these promos i think it might even be the one he cuts at wrestlemania prior to his match with Shawn michaels where he basically does exactly the same thing but it's so sudden and it's almost as if he'd forgotten that he was supposed to be fired up and then starts being fired up. It's uh, it's classic Diesel. I, I was writing my notes at this point and I, I literally, you know, just type in some notes up and then, you know, he just started going crazy and I just looked up and went, oh shit. <laughs> so what the hell is that? So he, he just, you know, sort of, you know, turned it on from zero to a hundred, just like that. Out of nowhere, for no reason. It's like, yeah. as I said, it's almost like he just forgets that he's supposed to be like fired up and he's about to go into a big match and then... Just goes, oh shit! Uh, and I hate you, Sid. You're horrible. How dare you do what you did to Shawn Michaels? Ah! 
because of the structure of the promo, because they talk about the passing of his mum, and then Todd Pengel is like, he's conducting an interview. He asks a really good follow-up question after that. And, uh, oh, Kevin Nash just doesn't really answer it. And then he then gets amped up for a bit, then simmers down again, and then he gets amped up again. And I'm like, come on, mate. This isn't difficult. You're just having a chat. You've just got to sell a match. But he wasn't ever good at that, was he? Silly little cunt. You're saying, oh, man, that when he said, I am the war's goo-goo-goo-choo, that didn't get you excited for the match? No, and it didn't. So you've got to put, like, this is Sid as well. This is a guy who uh, Vince calls Psycho Sid and fuck no, what's it, uh, Doc Hendricks. I almost called him Max Bygraves. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> We've got our yeah. music for the end of the show, but lads, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says he's a, oh, he doesn't like being called Psycho. I was like, cool, because like, he is, that's kind of the, uh, that's the vernacular that was used for people that act in Sid's way back in 1995. But yeah, Kevin Nash doesn't seem to have got that memo at all. And he's just like, oh, fighting him. And I, <laughs> how's your back? You've been attacked by, as Tom Pettengill puts it, a £325 man. He's like, no, it's fine. It's like, fucking hell, mate. Cutting Get a promo, their fire under you. Cutting a promo with all the intensity of a snooker player. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Then we get Jerry Lawler in the ring with his mother. Lawler's mother says, what will make her proud will be him beating Brat Hart. Then she wants a chance to fight Helen Hart. So it's all very strange. Uh, the Jerry Lawler's mother looks about 10 years younger than Jerry Lawler himself. And is very in the, the vein of classy Freddie Blassie of that previous Mother's Day show that we watched of man, because he's got a mother who's also at least 30 years younger than him in that uh, particular show. It's just shit, isn't it? It's just really crap but really good stuff, isn't it, Miss? And uh, I'm glad you reminded me of Classy Freddy Blassie, because I completely forgot about that. And that uh, that did make me laugh, that. And it's always good to see Freddy Blassie. God rest his little soul. What were your thoughts on this, Matt? It, it was just kind of the, the, the sort of, you know, I, I don't know, just the, the, the classic cheap sort of heat kind of thing. It, it, it was funny. I mean, you know, it was blatantly obvious, you know, obviously what, what they were what they were going with it. And I, I just, I did laugh. I thought it was, it was kind of cheap, but it, it was funny. Well, next up, Vince throws to Todd Pettengill, who Vince says is at the gorilla position, which I hadn't realised it ever said on camera before, but he certainly says it here. Bret Hart says that he is 100% exposing Bret's ruse. His knee is not injured and does a little jig to prove it too. He then says Lawler is history. And at this point, Matt, I, I presume you were like, oh my God, the twist. How amazing is this? It's like the sixth sense all over again. Yeah, <laughs> this was my uh, sort of humble pie moment where I was like, oh, damn, he wasn't really hurt after all. Crap. I was like, they got me. Never mind. And then I was like, well, this is why you've got to let things play out. Well, that's it, because otherwise, well, although it's actually quite nice to get suckered in, I think. Mm, I agree. So yeah. I feel like you shouldn't. Yeah, I feel like you shouldn't be too hard on yourself. I mean, it's fucking stupid. You're a full grown man. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, genuinely, though, I think it's very nice when wrestling does that. Or when any TV show does that, when you are you do fall for it and you think, oh, this is a bit shit. Or you're like, bloody hell, Bret Hart, his knees hurt. His knees hurt. And then you spend 
Dave Starrow crying. See, I think that's the difference, though, old man, is that Matt wasn't like it wasn't like he'd like bought into it and was like, oh, no, Brett's Brett's hurt. What's going to happen here? He was like, oh, that's fucking shit. That is. That's absolutely rubbish. How could that happen? So for me, I was thinking about this just then when you were talking. I was like, actually, I can't say that I consciously thought, oh, yeah, I remember now. Brett does this thing because I couldn't. I didn't remember that at all. So I thought, oh, I don't know where they're going with that. But I wasn't like, oh, that's fucking shit. Fucking rubbish that is. How could they, how could they do that? So that's the difference, old man. Is he didn't he didn't buy into it at all. He just got all like snooty about it, basically. Okay, the impression. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got it wrong, didn't I? Okay. Oh my god, that's even worse. Wow. Jesus. It's the best I can do. <laughs> So we then are with Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler, finally. And it is, in the end, only five minutes in length. It ends when, after basically Bret is on top in the match, Shinja comes out, Hakushi's manager. He distracts the referee and then Lawler, Lawler runs into the ref, who ends up hanging upside down from the second rope by his ankle. Hakushi runs in, hits a diving headbutt three times on Bret. Lawler then covers Bret and takes the win. Lawler beating Bret in a match that Bret had dedicated to his mother, Helen. Matt, your thoughts? on this one god what a what a dastardly heel that jerry lawler <laughs> i i've gotta be honest i quite like jerry lawler in this i thought he was entertaining the match itself it, it wasn't really long enough to develop into anything as such not not that it probably needed to be that this was probably a i'm sure they had another match at the next pay-per-view or wherever I'm sure that they were in the middle of a feud or something. I could be wrong. Yeah, so the, the next pay-per-view is King of the Ring 95, where Brett and Jerry Laura have a kiss-my-foot-match. That's it. I, I I thought that's that's what came after this, yeah. So, I, I, I you know, I, I couldn't be mad, Rick, because I just thought that this was going to be a lead-in to whatever's next. And it was okay. I mean, three headbutts seemed a bit excessive <laughs> for the finish, but... You know, it, it it got you know it got the match done, got the pin. Cool, Jerry Lawler got the win. Didn't have any problem with this. They're protecting Brett because Brett's the star. Hakushi's not. Jerry Lawler's not a, a guy that they're looking to make money off of. So they're protecting Brett. That's why the three headbutts. But I just thought again, like this is arguably the second biggest match on the show behind the main event, and it's five minutes long. And you've been promoting it all night. You've been going on about it all night. Jerry Lawler's wanted the match for the whole night, and then you deliver five minutes. I just thought. I mean, don't get me wrong. The 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 re- match a king of the ring 95 is nothing to shout about either but i just thought yeah come on give us a bit more than this the pile drivers in this were also really good you don't see pile drivers that good that often oh brett brett's pile driver is the thing of beauty and, and if you've read his book you know he loves a pile driver whilst he's married <laughs> uh, <laughs> so sorry it's not libel or the other one slander because he's written about it it's fine yeah yeah so this is uh all right like you said power drivers are phenomenal let's be honest there's only one thing in this match and that's earl hebner because he is dangling upside down and what i think uh was very important i think when i was watching this to take myself out of it because he is not a wrestler so he's not going to have that strength in theory to be able to pull himself up and maybe untie himself he's just hanging there and he's there for it's got to be a minute possibly even a minute and a half and i just thought fair fucking play Earl. there's a thousand ways you can do this now you can just get run into we've seen that a million times in wrestling i thought to see something genuinely new was great and also what you then get is you get hakushi come down hit the three headbutts which to your point matt probably a bit excessive but never mind and then there is a reason for shinja to then release earl hebner so that he can count 
I just thought it was really good. And also, I fucking loved Lawler's cover because it's so, like, you don't just, like, lie on him and cover him. He, like, rolls him up. And I just thought, it's fucking, it's just great heel stuff. And I know on Lawler's mum, right, <laughs> fair fucking play to her. She is all in on this. She's cheering. She's clapping. She's she's worrying. Like, the match is not very much. But I thought, given the way that they took it, I thought it was pretty good, actually. And it leads to something else, which I knew as well. So I knew that. that and that match actually got uh, got referenced in our Extreme Rules episode. So it was lovely. Lovely. Which, which you would have you know, been more familiar with, Matt, had you been you know, actually watched Extreme Rules. And, uh <laughs> We would have been, uh, <clears throat> we'd have been quids in, but uh, unfortunately, uh, something happened that meant you were. Th- these we thinking I'd be able to get through this episode without you saying that, but there you go. <laughs> I didn't love this, but you know, it's it was never going to be great. It's Jerry Lawler, isn't it? Bret Hart is working with people that shouldn't really have to face at this point in their careers. This feud had started in 1993, uh, the first pay-per-view King of the Ring where Brett had won and then Jerry Lawler attacked him. They had had a feud through towards the end of 93, which had been prematurely cut off because of the fact that Jerry Lawler had been suspended for reasons we spoke about in the Survivor Series 93 review, which I won't go into again here. But then they sort of re you know, brought it back here in this in this sort of period, and it led to their Kiss My Foot match, a King of the Ring 95. Oh, man, on the Earl Hebner bump, which I did think was great. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I also thought the selling afterwards was magnificent, too. Mm. The way he sold his injury when he was counting the fall. But he mistimes getting back in the ring a little bit, or they, he and Shinja mistime him getting back in the ring a little bit. Because as he's rolling in, Hakushi's just about to do a third diving headbutt. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a shame, because that did just detract from it a little bit but it was a cracking little bump and uh, a very interesting visual seeing this leg dangling from the rope because it's on the other side of the ring to the hard cam so you can't fully see Earl Hebner in the moment it's nuts right? it it's absolutely nuts like we were saying like there's no way he can't get himself out of that and I was just like oh my withered old ankles wouldn't have handled that so we then get the thing that old man's been waiting for all day, which is the backstage oh, promo yes. with Sid straight to camera. He says that time mm. has run out for Diesel. A new man will be crowned champion. Diesel will become a victim and there's nothing he can do. It should be said as well that the camera angle here is quite strange. It's almost coming up from underneath him and to the side. And Sid's face is pretty much entirely encompassing the screen. So this promo is fan bloody tastic because he is so, and we've talked about this numerous times, Tommy in particular is a big proponent of people who are all in on their character. And he's so far in, I can't even figure out where the real Sid and this one ends because he's so intense and he's got this wonderful way of talking through gritted teeth. Mm. But he manages to make it so that you can hear and understand what he says. Whereas like, if I tried to do that, I'd just be like, and everyone would just be like, sorry, mate, what's that? It sounded like a dog chewing on their own leg. But yeah, this is just fucking Sid, man. It's just absolutely brilliant. We'll get to the ring stuff. But like character wise, he's just really, really nailed it in particular in this period. But also, I was I think I enjoyed this even more because I know he's with Ted DiBiase. I was a bit concerned that Ted, who was a great talker, was going to do the promo and that we wouldn't get to hear Sid. But we got to hear him. Beautiful. Go on, Sid. Oh boy, didn't we get to hear him. <laughs> 
the the sort of content of Sid's promo his promos in general just it's just so cheesy but you know what it, I, I don't know what it is again it's just there's something about the guy that's just really captivating it's almost like I don't care what he said what he says because there's just something there I just think I need to listen to it the only thing that bugged me about this is like you said um, at the start you know with the camera angle it was so close to his face at one point it was almost like the camera was going to go up his nose it was that <laughs> so close. I was like, I need to back up just a little bit. But yeah, the, the, this was great again. Sid's pro was just, he's just so entertaining. I, I agree with Old Man entirely. I think it was great. And I think you've got something there, Matt, where you say it doesn't really matter what he says. He just does it really well. And he is just so into this character. I've said it before on the show. I just think this is who he is. I just think this is this is what he's about. He's a bit of a nutter, I think. And great. He's really, really great at it. If only he could wrestle. That's all I'll say. If only he could wrestle, he would be one of my favourites because genuinely, character-wise, he absolutely nails it every time. So after the Sid promo, we've got the whole prize draw, which we've spoken about. So we come to our main event. It's Diesel versus Sid for the WWF Championship. It's an 11 and a half minute match. It ends when Diesel makes a comeback, hits a jackknife powerbomb, but Tatanka then runs in and attacks Diesel, along with DiBiossi and Sid, and Sid is disqualified. After the match, Sid goes to powerbomb Diesel, but Bam Bam Bigelow runs in and makes the save. Old man, what did you make of the match? It's not great, is it? Let's be honest. Are you sure? Are you sure it's not great? (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure it's not a six-star classic? Uh, Are you sure it's not what the words work rate were invented for? (laughs) Well, in fairness, there is some work rate in it, but I think it's a lack of... (laughs) So I'm watching this, and we've had loads of matches over the last like 16, 17 months that we've been doing this, where we've prefixed criticism or followed up quite harsh criticism with, but they're working hard. In Sid's case, I think he is. I think Kevin Nash is phoning this in so badly that I almost found it offensive, to be honest. He doesn't really sell anything. He's in a, I mean, he's selling, bear in mind, Sid is a mass. I know Kevin Nash is a big guy, but like I said with the promo, like, Sid's got him, he gets him in two camel clutches, two camels on his back, right? And he's barely selling it. Like, he's just basically being held in this position. And I was like, what's going on here? And then he gets his comeback, he gets cough, and then there's the second camel clutch, which I enjoyed probably more than the first one. Then he just no-sells Sid's powerbomb, and then powerbombs Sid himself, and then the end happens, the end's fucking terrible like a list of people that i want to see do a run-in at a main event of a pay-per-view show to tanker is like he's not even made the list because i'm not even thinking it's a possibility and he comes out and i'm just like oh this is terrible it just was and this kind of brought me around and you made this point right at the start matt when you were talking about bret hart and hokushi this is the main event and it, it's almost like it's a completely different entity to the opener you've got incredible fundamentals in the opener and then you've got some really good stuff around it these two between them can't even get the fundamentals right and it was like it's borderline offensive when i was watching it kevin nash bad Sid, not great. Put that together and uh, they kind of meet somewhere in the middle, which is pretty terrible. Matt, what did you think? I'm so glad that you brought up the uh, the, the camel clutch spots there because, t- to be honest, probably the way that 
I'm going to remember this match is this was the match of the never-ending camel clutch spot. How long did you say this match was been? About 10 and a half minutes, 11 minutes? Yeah, about that, yeah. I'd probably say the camel clutch spot probably felt like 10 of those 11 minutes. (laughs) I was watching and I was like, my God, it just never ended. They just sat on the thing for ages and it just became interminable by the end of it. I was like, for the love of God, somebody just finished the damn thing. And then not long after, they, they had a really crappy DQ running. Um, yeah, it, it really wasn't great. You know, like we like I was saying with the, you know, the sort of open, I mean, if you take out the star power of this and, you know, if you put in two sort of lower card guys and not for the WWE title, this easily could have been an opener and you know it almost shouldn't have been but it, it, yeah that quality wise it, it was not great it, it really wasn't what you want the end of a show to be not going out on a high note it's really not something that needs to be viewed twice yeah and yet i have seen it at least twice and <laughs> i think i think uh i'd have to take umbrage a little bit with old man i think both these people are not working particularly hard in fact i think diesel in the opening parts of the match is trying to make the pace a bit faster he's trying to like he does some stuff his clotheslines have a little bit more oomph in them you know running across the ring he's trying to kind of bring some intensity the minute sid takes over the match just goes into like crawl pace the thing that is good about that though is that sid basically keeps the heat on him because he's all the way through shouting at the crowd like posing in front of the crowd so he at least keeps that going but the match itself slows to an absolute crawl because sid doesn't do anything the most impressive thing he does at one point is he runs like outside the ring and kicks Kevin Nash in the head. And then that's what he that's what he does for like a good minute. That's the whole of that minute's action. Um, because he's then like posing for the crown and whatnot. And this is what I'm talking about. Like Sid is a fantastic character and an absolutely atrocious wrestler. Kevin Nash is a very, very, very bad wrestler and not a very interesting re- uh, character either. So for me, Sid definitely is the better. I'd much rather watch Sid, but in terms of the action here, I think they're equally to blame for how poor this is. And you, later on in this year, there's a main event of another in your house between Diesel and the British Bulldog for the world title. And that match is so poor that at one point during the match, Vince actually shouts at them. Even though he's on commentary, he actually has a go at them for making, <laughs> because the match is so poor. And I wonder at what point Vince realised that this was not going to be was not going to produce the results and i also wonder why he thought it ever would and why he then thought oh i tell you what a good main event opponent for diesel would be let's put him up against mabel in the main event of SummerSlam. that would be amazing but he did he actually thought that that would be decent this is not a good match it's slow it has a terrible ending there's not a lot to enjoy about it whatsoever as good as ted dibiase was as a as a wrestler as a manager he was an absolute anchor to all the people that he managed none of them did anything um, once he became their manager and sid is counted amongst that number and yeah the whole thing's just a waste because at the end it ends in a disqualification and what that leads to is a main event of king of the ring 95 which is diesel and bam bam bigelow against sid and tatanka and then they have a rematch of diesel versus sid in your house too so all this leads to is more diesel and sid action you'll be pleased to know yay (laughs) (laughs) 
So um, there's one more thing that happens after the show. Now, Matt, I don't know if you caught this. Did you watch it right to the end? I thought I did. <laughs> so, yeah, well, this is good. You've got to, you've got it. This is about the fourth or fifth time this has happened, Matt. You've got to stick with this right to the end, right? Every video needs to be stuck to, <laughs> to the end. Because at the end of this, we get a, la- a little a little advert for the WWF. It features a couple of aliens talking about how thoroughly wrong and shit the human race are. But the only hope for them is the WWF. And then the voiceover guy says, the tagline the wwf are saving the world and then the show ends your your face speaks for itself matt <laughs> what the fuck is that <laughs> i'd never seen it before myself i was a bit shocked no. by it too but this is why you watch to the end because you never know what's going to be there that's the most batshit thing i've ever heard what is that well go back and watch it it's only the last I'm 20 gonna, seconds I'm it's only the last 20 seconds um you got to see it to believe it oh man did you uh did you catch this i did catch this and to be honest my reaction was exactly what matt's reaction was i was just like this is absolutely nice but you know what i'm being funny but the world's still here <laughs> so maybe they were right maybe okay so that's the whole show time for our scores out of 10 our mvp and our match of the night we haven't said any of those things during the show no. which is what we're supposed to do uh, matt why don't you start with us give us all of your stuff okay um let's go with mvp of the night i am gonna go with uh jerry lawler for that one to be honest i thought that he was just for me one of the highlights so happy to go with jerry for that uh, uh, uh match of the night i am going to go with the opener i, I think most of us are probably all going to go with the opener but yeah as far as the overall score for the show i was torn i'm gonna go with four out of ten I, I was stuck between four and five kind of average maybe just below average I think is probably quite fair. So I, I'm going to go with four. Oh, man. This is a difficult one to score. I mean, I think MVP is very difficult. I'd, be te- I'd go Sid, but the main event is so poor <laughs> that, like, he really loses it. It's going to have to be Brett. It's got to be because he's pulling double duty. The opener's cracking stuff. I'm tempted to go Shinja, but he don't really do enough, to be honest. But uh, yeah, and in terms of a score, like, this is the opener's. Very good. Very much enjoyed that. In- enjoyed Razor, Charrette and the Roadie. And after that, there's just nothing, really. This is one of those shows where if this was a three-hour show, I would have been sobbing openly, I think, <laughs> if it had gone on any longer. Those two first matches are good enough that I'll, I'll give it a three. Um, in terms of me, I think I'm going to give it a four as well. I think it was the, the two opening matches did enough heavy lifting to get us through. It was strange, though. After that, you've got a bunch of really short matches then the main event between diesel and sid which is also only about 10 minutes it's just flimsy it's just a really flimsy card and i think that's really what they were doing with these in your houses they weren't just shorter they were also quite flimsy you notice there's no Shawn michaels on this show there's no undertaker on this show you know two big stars that the wf had alongside a relatively small amount of main event guys and they're not on the show and they're not doing anything on the show. They're not even Brett, at least here. They've got Brett with Hakushi, who's not a top guy, but they've got him, you know, facing somebody. Nothing for The Undertaker, nothing for Shawn Michaels. Just a kind of <clears throat> flimsy card, flimsy show. And thank goodness for Bret Hart and his matches with Hakushi and Jerry Lawler. Bret Hart's the uh, MVP for me. And of course, his opener with Hakushi is the match of the night. Just a, yeah, flimsy stuff and a relatively good symbol for what In Your House would be for the first year or so of its of its existence, because this is kind of what they did. It was only really, as I said, when they went up to three hours at the end of 97 that they became a little bit more worth 
worthwhile but even then some of them were a bit weak but certainly at this point really really weak show for a pay-per-view certainly um so that's uh that's all of the business we need to do today old man thank you for joining me today thank you very much just for the technical difficulties don't worry about that what have you got to do lads you've got to rate review and remember ken at all moments through that then because we've had some technical difficulties that i may have been able to edit out so you might not be aware of this listener but all the way through that i was very very nervous that he was going to cut out just in the middle of the word patera and uh didn't thankfully it didn't happen matt thank you also for your contributions today pleasure as always and i'm happy to be here even happier to review the right show (laughs) (laughs) and you're going to be around quite a bit in the next few weeks matt aren't you you're going to be uh i think you've got three or so three or four episodes in a row here so uh yeah the listeners are gonna hear plenty of your dulcet tones over the next couple of weeks i however will not be here for a couple of weeks i'm taking another couple of weeks off but i'll be leaving you in safe hands with all of uh all the guys that will be involved in those episodes well hands Uh, what (laughs) you said i'll be leaving you in safe hands Ah, I see. Wow. Hands. Yeah, hands at least. This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again next week, but until then, take care. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago, and it's gone right to my head. No matter where I roam. I want to go to bed I had a little drink about an hour